we are continuing. We're wrapping up our Sign of the Times series. Uh, we've, we've been kind of jumping off uh, the El Arroyo Mexican restaurant sign down in Austin. Uh, if you've seen it in person, I, I think that makes you a real Texan. And if you haven't seen it in person, I don't think that excludes you because you've probably seen it online at least somewhere. Uh, it's been great fodder for memes and for funny quips because this restaurant has a unique gift and ability to, to put little things in their sign that are funny, they make us laugh and chuckle, but so many of them I've noticed, as with a lot of humor, uh, it points to something deeper. And there's something under the surface. There's something worth digging into. There's truth that's pointed out there. And this one today, I think, has something for all of us. See, our sign today is this. Uh, it's okay if you fall apart sometimes. Tacos fall apart, and we still love them. <laughs> well, there's some truth in that. Isn't it? You know, tacos are beautiful and wonderful things. We all love them. But the truth is, is that they're really messy. And when you eat them, you know, some of it, it falls out onto the plate and you don't know what to do with it. And so you kind of have to get the extra tortilla and make the bonus taco out of the leftovers. Um, or that's my favorite move. Or you grab some chips and you have some impromptu nachos uh, to finish it up. Um, but that's kind of like life, isn't it? Life is a, a beautiful and wonderful thing. It's just incredible. We all love it. And yet it's messy. Yet sometimes it, it falls apart and we don't always know what to do with the pieces as they fall apart and lay where they are. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. But you know, that is all of us. That's universal. I was thinking back uh, on some experiences where I've, I've uh, given myself, I'll just put it this way, I've given myself opportunities to fall apart and mess up. <laughs> and, and that is way too numerous to run down the list, I guarantee you. I was thinking back uh, to Christmas in 2005. My wife and I had just been married for two years. This was um, early on, pre-kids. And we didn't have a big Christmas budget that year. I was, you know, graduated college. I was working at a church and starting seminary. And she was doing student teaching. And while those both sound like lucrative careers, um, that did put our Christmas budget in a bit of a pinch that year. So instead of buying each other extravagant gifts, we came up with an experience, kind of a game to play. We gave each other like, you know, 40 or $50 and we went down to Walmart and we said, okay, we're going to set a timer, 30 minutes, run through the store and spend this much money on like buying a little gift package for each other and, you know, kind of put together a wonderful little package of gifts with, you know, what we can get and we'll come back and we'll go to different registers at the same time and pay for them and kind of hide them from each other on the way home and go wrap them up and open them up on Christmas. Now that game is suited for her because she is a thoughtful gift buyer, but I have to I have to tell you on the front end, I have to admit, that's not me at all. <laughs> I'm horrible, horrible at buying gifts. My whole life, I've wanted to be that person who, who is thoughtful and, and buys just the right gift at, at just the right time for just the right person and everything matches up and everybody's happy. And it never goes that way. <laughs> Thankfully, since then, uh, they've invented Amazon wish list, and so she can just kind of uh, get online and make a little list of things and text them or email me, uh, and then I get to, you know, look like the thoughtful, like, good guy at the end of the day uh, when I just buy her what she asked for. But as you can imagine, because I'm telling the story didn't end well, we got to Christmas morning, and she opens my gifts. And we had talked about a month before about wanting to ride our bikes more together. 
We live by this beautiful park with a pond on these paths. And so I thought, ah, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy bicycle accessories for my wife for Christmas. And that'll show her how thoughtful I am. And it didn't go well. You know, the, <laughs> the little clip-on water bottle, that one wasn't so bad. You know, the bike helmet, not so bad either. But the piece de resistance, the, the thing that I thought would put it over the top, for some reason, at that point in my life, was one of those little rubber bowl bike horns, you know, the kind that... <laughs> The kind that you bolt on to the the handlebar. And for whatever reason, I thought a young woman, wonderful young woman in her 20s, riding her bike through a park in public in front of other people would want that on her bike. Um, It didn't go well for me that Christmas morning. Matter of fact, in the 20 years we've been together, uh, I've only cried in front of her like a handful of times, and this was one of them. I was just bawling and weeping because I knew I had messed up. It was, the situation was falling apart on me quickly. And you know what, that sounds a little trivial, you know, in, in retrospect, but the truth is, is that we all do that. And as we turn to scripture this morning, I'm thankful that throughout the Bible, we have so many examples of these, these heroes of the faith Like they get mentioned by name in the word of God and yet over and over and over again in their lives. We see them come up upon moments where they've they've messed things up or or something's not quite right and the the world's falling apart around them. And the question isn't, is it gonna fall apart? The question is how do we respond? And so as we turn to uh, 2 Corinthians this morning, I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read verses 6 through 10. So I'll give you just a minute to, to turn there if you're going to be there with me. You know, Paul is writing the church in Corinth. These are people he knew well. He had, he had been a part of the beginning of the church in that community, helping plant it. He was part of them as they continued to grow. He discipled them. He wrote to them. He cared for them. He encouraged them. He helped give them hope. He, he even corrected them a few times and helped, helped them get their feet back on the path when they kind of mess things up here and there and close tight relationship with him these are people he loved they loved him and when he's writing them here toward the the end of his ministry um, he gets a little vulnerable and he talks about this part in his life where things are falling apart and he doesn't you know doesn't really enjoy this experience Um, and he mentions it to them not not in the spirit of a woe is me you know look 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 how you know my misery loves company kind of thing instead He mentions it to them because it's a teachable moment for them and it's a teachable moment for us. How do we handle it when life falls apart? In verse six, uh, he writes, but if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool for I will be speaking the truth. But if I I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from uh, being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. 
For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Paul touches on the subject of boasting quite a bit in his writings. Uh, we can't go into all of it and uh, the many different various places that, that he mentions it, but, but I'll kind of summarize it for us today. He touches on this because he puts here on one hand, boasting, inflation of the self, building up of the self, right? Making myself look better than I really am, making myself look more worthy than I really am, especially in comparison to others. And he puts that against faith. That response that God asks of us, trust, of laying our lives before him and emptying ourselves and trusting him with the results. You see, Paul, he's aware that behind the boasting, behind the the puffing up ourselves, building up ourselves to make ourselves look better than we actually are, uh, he's aware that behind that is a fear, it's an insecurity, that worry that I'm not good enough, that I don't measure up that I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna be my own savior kind of complex. And you know what, there's actually truth in that. The gospel teaches us that yeah, all that's actually true. But how do we respond to that? He's saying faith is the best answer. And he kind of flips it on his head by the end and he talks about not even just admitting my weaknesses but boasting in them so that God may be glorified. You know, there's, there's a temptation that we all face as humans. to to enter into the boasting, the building up of self. And yet, I think that if we're gonna kind of push past that and push through that and get to what Paul's talking about here, we've gotta talk about two things today. You know, when life falls apart, sometimes, and this is the first thing, sometimes it's my fault. Sometimes things fall apart because I'm the one who caused it. Boy, it's hard to admit that, isn't it? It is not fun, it does not feel good, and yet it's required of us. Learning to have grace on ourselves and and admit that we have messed up, that I have a weakness, because we all do, is part of the journey. You know, it might be something trivial, something small, like buying your wife a bike horn for Christmas, (laughs) uh, which is ill-advised. Man, if you didn't hear me at the beginning, don't do that. Uh, But it might also be something that's you know, on a grander scale, when there are higher stakes, something on a bigger stage. You know, this past week, we actually passed uh, by an anniversary of kind of an infamous moment in sports history in Major League Baseball. Lou Gehrig, one of the heroes of the sport, back on uh, April, I've almost said August, back on April 26th, 1931, they hit a home run, as Lou Gehrig often did. But this one was different. See, this was going to be his, uh, the, the home run that put him over the top, you know, to win the American League home run crown for that year. But something happened around the base path. He was called out. And if you think, how do you get called out if you hit the ball out of the park? That's clearly a home run, right? Well, there's a simple rule in baseball. You don't run past the runner in front of you. You don't lap that runner, right? Or you'll get called out. Oh, it's such a basic rule. It's so easy to remember. Luke Gehrig was a master of the game. He knew that rule in his sleep, and yet there was just that moment. He wished he could take it back. He wished he could go back and change it and make a different choice. 
Oh, and I know what that feels like. You just wish you could go back and make a different choice. Just change that one moment in the past so that the outcome would be better. And yet, Paul tells us that the gospel requires humility of ourselves. You know, when we mess up, the proper response is to go before God and, and confess and say, Lord, this was my fault. I am so sorry. But sometimes we're scared of that because we think that God's response is going to be, um, okay, well, you messed up. That one's on you, buddy. Uh, we're done here. You can, you can go. Get out of here. But I'm so thankful that that is not at all how God handles that. You see, God is full of love and grace and mercy. And when we confess that we are the ones who messed up, instead of sending us away, he actually embraces us, welcomes us back in like welcoming the prodigal back home. That's what we find. We find love and welcoming. And we find him saying, you are my child, you are part of my family. And boy, that is such a comforting response to that. You see, we don't, we're not used to treating each other like that when we mess up. And so God's response to us is actually a model for how, for how we're supposed to treat one another. Because you see, we mess up against each other sometimes too. It's hard to admit that to one another. And yet the, the hardest, the best response, even though it's the hardest response, is to confess, hey, that was my fault, and then to respond with, it's okay. Let's patch this up and move forward. You see, um, it's one thing, it's one thing to admit it, hey, I've done something wrong. That's easy for me to conceive. I have, a, I have a box in my brain for that. That's my fault. That's on me to fix. But there's another side to this too. It's actually maybe a little bit more sticky to deal with. And that's because sometimes when life falls apart, sometimes when things are going wrong, it's not my fault. See, something happened out there in the world around me. It happened to me and I wasn't the cause of it, and yet I'm the one who's kind of holding the bill. I'm the one who has to deal with the consequences. I'm the one who has to wrestle with the pain. And see, if, if we remember back to what Paul was saying about that thorn in the flesh, I, I want to circle us back around to that. Because he knew what that felt like. It's done, it, does, it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel right. That I have to process this, that I have to deal with pain that I did not cause. And so Paul says a thorn in the flesh was given to him and he asked God three times, God, will you just please take this away? Remove it. And three times God says, no, I'm not, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, we're not, not told, we're not told at all what that thorn in the flesh was. Paul doesn't mention it in his letters. Our best guess at it is that it's gotta be some kind of physical ailment. Uh, he mentions in, in another letter that maybe his eyesight is deteriorating. Um, maybe that's what he's talking about. He also mentions in so many other places that he's been arrested for preaching the gospel and he's been beaten, he's been thrown in prison over and over again. Maybe that's the thorn in the flesh, we don't know. You see, I'm kind of glad that we don't know what it is because if I knew what it was, that's what I would focus on. And the important point here is not what his thorn in the flesh was. The important point is how God taught him to deal with it, how God taught him to respond. Because you see, that's a, it's tempting for us to go to God in prayer and say, God, will you please just take this away? 
We just move it over there so I don't have to deal with it anymore. And yet we see God say, child, be patient. Just trust me through this. I won't leave you alone, Emma, but I'm gonna work in you. And rather than remove the pain, I'm gonna redeem the pain. And I'll tell you, redeemed pain is so much better than pain that has been removed. Back in 2018, on Palm Sunday, I uh, was helping you know, load the trailer after church. We had a you know, big trailer with a bunch of heavy cargo and, um, and it wasn't my fault. I just happened, my head happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I ended up getting a, a, a concussion and, you know, went to the hospital and didn't feel right, had a rough week. Uh, and then I, I learned as I wasn't getting better, uh, my doctor was talking to me about traumatic brain injury and this thing called post-concussion syndrome. I had no idea what that was. All I knew was I felt terrible. And that began about a 10 month process of you know, going and seeing good doctors and you know, they were helpful and medication was helpful and went through a couple rounds of physical therapy and before things got better and you know, got my feet back on the right track, you know, quite literally. Uh, yeah, but I hated how I felt. I couldn't think the way that I used to think. I, I, I would search for words as I was speaking. I knew it was supposed to be there and yet I, I couldn't quite make my mouth make that sound. And, it was a frustrating way to live. I, I had trouble emotionally processing things. And if you know me, I'm not a terribly emotional guy to begin with. <laughs> and I remember praying so often, God, why is this happening? Will you please just take this away? Will you come in and just take it away physically, but also, Lord, just do some surgery on my heart, some emotional and spiritual surgery and take all of this baggage away. And if you'll just stuff it out of sight, that'd be great. Thank you. And God's response was much like that to Paul's. Like just, all right, son, take a deep breath and be patient. I'm at work in this with you. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we, we serve that God who is the shepherd of Psalm 23, who even though we want him to lift us out of that valley of the shadow of death, instead he says, you know what? I'm in it with you. I'm walking in with you. There to guide, there to comfort, there to give peace in the midst of the storm. Because here's the lesson that, that Paul learned long ago and, 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 and I've learned myself, probably need to learn it again, is that when we allow God to redeem that pain and work in and through it, work on us in and through it, we find that on the back end, we're actually, we actually experience a change in perspective. And while our perspective began, hey God, I'm hurting. God, I don't like this. Um, God takes us to a place where our perspective becomes, wow, I now have an opportunity to help somebody else because I went through that. And that is a gift. That is a gift to the world around us. A gift where we have the opportunity to bring hope to those who, whose lives are falling apart around them and so that they can know that they're not alone is that they can know that, that there is redemption to be found even in the midst of the mess they find themselves. You know, C.S. Lewis has this quote um, where he talks about pain being the megaphone, God's megaphone to the world. See, he says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, as I reflect on that, uh, I actually think, I know what he's talking about. 
in that I don't think God, the volume of God's voice changes. I think it's just the openness of my ears. Because when things are going well, when I have everything in hand just the way I want it, well, I've got to be the first to admit, it's hard to hear that still small whisper of the Lord sometimes. Why? Because I trick myself into thinking, well, maybe I don't need God that much right now because, I mean, things are going well. But boy, a little pain, a little trouble, a little heartache comes along. Life falls apart a little bit. And I all of a sudden, over and over again, find myself in that place where I'm, oh, Lord, I'm ready to listen. And so those moments, even though they're terrible, now I gotta be careful here and say, God does not cause, I do not believe for a second that God causes our pain. God does not create it. He simply promises to be with us through it and offer redemption in the midst of it. But he does use it to get it, put us in a, uh, we find ourselves in a place where we're ready to listen. And that, my friends, can be a gift. You see, and Paul talks about this progression that we go through in those moments when life is falling apart. Back in Romans 5, that suffering that is uh, universal to human experience. You see, we all go through it. But when we put it in God's hands, it, it creates perseverance. And then perseverance, it, it creates, it produces character. And see what that character produces is hope. And that's a really important result to folk, for us to focus on this morning because if you are in one of those places right now, then I want you to hear the hope of the gospel that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, our risen Lord and Savior. This right here, right here, right now, it's not permanent. It doesn't last forever. We have a hope and a future with our creator in eternity. And he offers us redemption in our pain, even here and now in the present. So this morning, if, if, if you say, you know, well, John, I know what it is. I know what it is to mess up. I, I need to come before God and, and just admit that I'm the one who messed this up. Or I have somebody I need to go speak to and confess that and admit that I'm the one who messed up. Then may you find a gracious and loving savior. May you find a God who opens his arms and welcomes you home, welcomes his child into the family. And if you're in that place where you say, you know, I, I'm, I've been experiencing some pain and I didn't cause it and it's been a little rough. My prayer is may you find redemption even in the midst of that pain. May God give you what you need for every single step and may you know that you are not in this place alone, that he is with you and that the body of Christ here is around you as well. And may we all be pointed to the truth that, that we proclaim on Easter. Again, that this isn't the end, that God's work is, is not finished that we have a victory in Christ that supersedes all of our present sufferings. So friends, if you're in that place this morning, hear the good news. Hear the hope of the gospel of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this season of Eastertide. That when life falls apart, and it will, we have a God who is there to hold us and put us back together. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the mercy that we receive, for the grace that we receive from you, for the invitation that we receive to be called your children. And Lord, as you know, 
You are aware of every place that we are all the time. Lord, life is hard sometimes. Sometimes we're the ones who mess up. Lord, when that happens, help us to be humble and come before you and confess that. Help us to find the grace that we so desperately need at your feet. Help us to trust that you are good and loving and that you want to restore us. And Lord, for those of us who are going through a season where life's falling apart and it's something that's happening to us and it feels out of our control, Lord, may you speak peace into into our hearts this morning. May we trust that you have in mind to redeem not just us, but the pain that we're going through so that an outcome may happen, a mysterious, miraculous outcome where the world is pointed to you. Lord, we lay all that we have before you this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.